This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Dumablet. And I'm Yannick Mayen. And what's the surprise topic for this week, Yannick? The KonMari method. The what? You'll find out. Oh my goodness, I was so afraid when you said, oh, I want to keep the surprise. Uh, now I understand why you wanted to keep the surprise. I don't understand the surprise. If you are one of the people in the audience who knows what I'm talking about, you will be very entertained because you could if you doesn't know that this is a non-tech topic. Uh-oh. No, come on. I don't mind that we don't have tech topics. We had a lot of episodes where it was no non-tech it was non-tech topics. But before we start, we still have some follow-up. So let's go through that first. Okay, so uh, one of the things I noticed while I was editing the last episode is I noticed a lot of parallels between my position on Marzipan and my position on game design for handhelds and full consoles. Uh, because as I said during the episode, like I'm not a big fan of convertible environments, and I am much more of a fan of designing things for the context in which they live more tightly than Marzipan or the switch would suggest. Uh, so if you are interested in hearing my uh, theory about uh, game design on handhelds and all that stuff, I will link the episode in the show notes that you can go listen to to hear my thoughts on that, because there is a lot of overlap. Uh, the next thing is that uh, one of the things we discussed during the Marzipan episode was there's no menu bar on iOS. And like three days after we said that, uh, <laughs> there was a blog post going around from the developer of Codea, which is a iOS application which allows you to make Lua games on iOS uh, and they actually implemented a menu bar of sorts on iOS it actually looks quite iOS like I think the th main thing I dislike about it is that the touch targets when you are uh, actually scrubbing through a menu are too small for my liking but otherwise it is actually a pretty neat idea and it's one of those ideas from the Mac that was somewhat reimagined for iOS, which I find interesting. At least it's not like a direct port of the menu bar like some people were suggesting. Uh, so definitely go take a look at that if you are interested in the weird fusion cuisine that is uh, Marzipan and iOS and the Mac these days. So I really like this uh, menu bar implemented by the team at Koya. Uh, it feels to me that it's bringing the best of touch interfaces with the best of what a menu uh, control is on a desktop. Uh, it's bringing the best interaction, like you said, the kind of a drag, you drag your finger on the right menu and it highlights the right one. You also have the uh, keyboard shortcut on each element that has keyboard shortcut like the Mac, uh, kind of emulating the uh, the Mac behavior there, uh, I haven't seen quickly after. Maybe we watch some of those videos, but I'm, I'm sure if the second the second you trigger the keyboard shortcut, it also uh, lights up this uh, appropriate menu where this uh, option lives. Uh, if not, uh, to me, that will be one of the nice, interesting things about the keyboard uh, shortcuts that the Mac does. But as a whole, from what I've seen, I would really like to find an app that is maybe not Korea because I don't think I have a purpose for it. But I really, I've seen a couple of examples on Twitter that has been adapting these menus, and I would maybe try to try play with them uh, to see uh, how good those menus are in like real life when you play with them. But on the paper and on videos on the website, they look quite really amazing and nice to use. Yeah, one of the things I'm actually kind of curious about is whether or not the keyboard shortcuts disappear if you're using the iPad without a keyboard paired to it, because that's one of the things that I think could potentially disappear in the menu and it would be nice and little contextual switch 
for when it's actually appropriate to see them. I don't know if that hurts discoverability at all, but since a keyboard is not necessarily always a given on iOS, sometimes it would be less relevant and you could just hide those, but who knows? Uh, so yeah, those are the two things I wanted to bring up in follow-up this week. Good, let's move to your topic. So judging by your reaction, you have no idea what the cone mining method is. I was going to ask you if you did, but... No, so it's the you said it's the cone mining? Konmari, K-O-N-M-A-R-I. Okay, it's in Japanese. So that explains why I never, uh, never heard this word. Okay, but have you heard of Marie Kondo? Of course. Okay. Oh well, no, we're having a Marie Kondo episode for real. Konmari is like her short name because Japanese ah. people obsess over making everything four syllables or less. Uh, <laughs> okay. No. So yes, uh, Tony and I watch a couple of our uh, new uh, TV shows on Netflix. Yes. Which is the main reason she's been coming up recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's been around for quite a few years, and I've been very familiar with her work uh, since uh, her first book came out. And I sort of want to talk about her methodology for tidying up your home by evaluating whether each item in your home sparks joy or not. And like super oversimplified, it's a goal-oriented reversal of the usual question people ask themselves when they're tidying up. Uh, usually people ask themselves, what am I getting rid of? Konmari is sort of an inversion of that where you ask, what is worthy to be kept in my home? And I think it's a very interesting way to look at things. As I've sort of implied, it's been popularized by Marie Kondo's two best-selling books. Uh, the first one was called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which my mom got for Christmas two years ago, but not from me. It was the initial book on the basics of her method and how she arrived at the underlying philosophy. And then a couple of years later, she wrote Spark Joy, uh, which is the second book. Well, I guess technically it's third-ish. It, I don't think it actually exists in Japanese. It, it, I think it exists only in English, and it's sort of a mix of the two follow-ups to the original book, but whatever. Uh, for English audience purposes, it's the second book, and it has more specific practical advice to applying her method by category of item, and it gets very granular, and I really enjoyed it. She also has a show on Netflix, which you mentioned, called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, that a lot of people have had opinions about on social media over the past few weeks, and I'm actually very interested to hear your opinions about them later on. So yeah, uh, this week I've sort of, because of all of the discourse surrounding her show, I've been revisiting her work, and I decided to listen to the entire audiobook for Spark Joy uh, over the past few days at work. Uh, so I'm going to give out uh, an outline of what the actual method is for people who have... I mean, a lot of it is explained throughout the show, but it doesn't go into as much detail as I think they should, or it doesn't highlight a little, uh, the little details I find interesting, or Did little you examples. watch the show a bit? I've only seen the first episode. Which is the young family for the Kalkalaki. Yes, with the deadbeat yeah. dad. <laughs> well, the he used what? to be a deadbeat. Oh, well, oh. I, I don't particularly like the dad in that episode, but whatever. <laughs> okay, yes, the, the, the war colleague dad? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so that's the episode I watched, and I, I think I watched the second one, which the which is the Japanese American family, or oh, the really? mom and dad. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen that yet. So okay, so that's and I think this one I watched only a couple for a uh, couple of episodes, of, a couple of like maybe ten minutes at most. But let's save our discussion of the show until the end. I just want to get through the methodology first because that that to me is the more interesting part. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so I, I'm going to lay out a couple principles uh, from her methods. So the first one is visualize your end goal. Uh, Marie Kondo fundamentally believes that tidying up can be a life-changing event. And 
it's hard not to feel like that's hyperbole. And I think Western people in particular think it sounds very hyperbolic. Um, but the way she sees it, uh, even if you don't necessarily think it's the case, you're constantly being influenced by the objects that surround you in your home. And by visualizing the lifestyle that you would like to lead someday, or ideally soon, uh, you can evaluate objects on based on how they fit into that goal and whether their presence will influence you in a different direction than what you're trying to be headed into. So that's pretty simple. She believes in making tidying up an event, which this is another part that a lot of people have difficulty understanding. Uh, she has a saying, like, if you only tidy a little a day, you'll be tidying forever. Like, it's this sort of never-ending wheel of trying to keep up with being tidy. So you just have, like, she calls it katadzuke matsuri, tidying festival, where you just make it a huge-ass event. You're like, okay, today I'm just going to, like, tidy up all the clothes. She also encourages to dress up in a way that actually um, offers respect to the possessions in your home, which, again, is a very kind of Japanese concept because oh my goodness, yes. here in North America, we have trouble with respecting things. <laughs> oh, yo, 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 yo. Oh, my goodness. Okay, sure. The sick sure. burns I'll, in the south. Yeah. I'll let it slide, but oh, my goodness, that statement. And, like, one of the questions that comes up a lot, and I, I also have trouble with one of her answers to this question, is, like, how do I get other people in the family to partake in tidying up? And her suggestion is just have fun while you're tidying up and then tidying up will become contagious if you look like you're enjoying yourself. To people who hate tidying up and cleaning, it sounds ridiculous. Yes. yes, But it's true that if something looks fun, people will get on board. We will talk about her more problematic uh, opinions (laughs) on the topic a little bit later when we talk about specifically what do I do if my husband isn't interested in cleaning which is she has a very problematic answer to that one but we'll leave that aside for the moment of course the next thing is to focus uh, avoid distractions while you're tidying up only focus on your own belongings as what sparks joy to a person is highly personal of course and you are not able to know what sparks joy for another person and therefore you cannot actually evaluate whether something is worth keeping for them or not and if only those boundaries worked both ways right because sometimes you respect someone's boundaries, but they don't respect yours, and you wind up losing a bunch of stuff because they threw it away when you weren't looking. And also, complete an entire category at once. You might be saying, what categories? Uh, well, the next principle is tidy by category, not by place. Uh, and there is a very deliberate category order to her things. It's clothes, books, documents, komono, or miscellaneous items, and sentimental items. And this item was determined over time by sorting by increasing difficulty. By the time you reach the items that are harder to evaluate, your evaluation muscle will be more developed and the decisions you'll need to make will be easier. So basically, like, all you have to do, well, not all you have to do, but what you have to do is collect all the items in a given category from throughout the house and bring them all to one spot for processing. So put all of your clothes in a giant pile on the floor and process all the clothes at once. Then do the same for books, documents, communal, sentimental items. The, the, the funny part to me to that process is, okay, category, uh, clothes, I guess the category is good. Uh, books, yeah, for some certain people, that could be a good category. And documents, for sure. But then the miscellaneous, I'm like, that includes like the kitchen, that includes like yes. all the... It's like, it, the miscellaneous category to me, every time I was, uh, for the two episodes we watched, I was like, 
miscellaneous as a category is like huge. Yeah, miscellaneous is literally everything else in the house that is not like photo albums with photos of your family and shit. Like, <laughs> it's pretty large category. And in fact, uh, I I don't even know how many hours the Komono section is in the audiobook version of Spark Joy, uh, because that is. Basically, they go through each category and then they give granular examples for each type of object in each category. Uh, and I think it's easily at least an hour and a half, two hours wow, of just okay. the Komono section, uh, which is interesting to say the least. Yeah, that, that's the point to me is it feels from what I've learned uh, is I would have seen maybe, maybe a bit more granular categories when you go in the miscellaneous section, but I guess that's our technique. But I, I think like, there's no harm in subdividing Komono by, it might even be place, I don't really care. Um, I, I mean, the, the idea be behind place, uh, not by place, is if you have a really fucking messy place, your items can be scoured all over the goddamn place. Like, maybe you have a spatula in the bathroom, I don't know. Like, if that's your kink, like, go for it. But, <laughs> like... <laughs> really like if you want to subdivide by categories like make sure those categories are still categories and not places like that still works out like you can do like cooking instruments right and like cooking instruments is a category that is not necessarily bound to a specific place however it is highly likely that many of them are going to be in the kitchen and other stuff like that but yeah i, I do think you can break down miscellaneous and if you actually just go look at the table of contents for spark joy like those subcategories all exist already um but yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree that for that category, you need to uh, process all of the items at once. Like, it seems like a huge mountain. Uh, and oddly enough, like, that's the part of they don't really show on the show. <laughs> like, I was like, how are they going to manage the Komono stuff? And you don't really see it that much. Um, maybe they do in episode two. I don't know. Yeah, I think she's like, uh, most of the tricks I've seen, she's kind of using like, oh, put like the boxes and the plates uh are, are like aligned uh, vertically so you can see everything you have and she comes back to a lot of that trick in the communal section right but that comes like it's it's an other step after that like when you're just doing the the joy check which we haven't even reached in the technical order that you're supposed to do things in like first you have to sort things into what sparks joy what doesn't spark joy but then after that is when you actually like take into consideration, okay, how am I going to handle the exact placement of these items in my home? Mm -hmm. Whereas I think the show, well, we'll get to it when we get there because I don't want to spoil everything else. Uh, so, right. So the next step is sort of like hold each item individually. So simply looking at an item does not make it feel as real or as tangible as if you hold it in your hands, like big ass duh there. For media such as books, CDs, or DVDs, avoid consuming the content as you tidy up unless it's something that is unlabeled that you need to identify and only do so very briefly uh, because that can be a huge procrastination time sink. Like what if you pick up like Harry Potter and then you read through the entire Harry Potter book while, while you're supposed to be tidying and then you wake up and it's like 3 a.m. and all you did all day was not tidy and read Harry Potter. Like it's easy to fall into that kind of trap so try to judge things by the cover which i know a lot of people say not to do that but that is literally the advice she gives uh, she also has very interesting opinions about books which we will return to in the criticism section 
that is the reason people are talking about that show, which, oh my God, I don't even, don't get me started. Okay, so <laughs> now we've reached like the main point of this entire thing, the pivotal point, which is, does it spark joy slash the joy check? And I don't really have an issue with the translation of spark joy, uh, because it is very good at capturing the in the idea behind what she's trying to say. However, it is not a literal translation, and I don't think a literal translation would have worked either. Uh, so the original Japanese word is tokimeku, and tokimeku literally means throb or flutter or palpitate. Uh, and I don't think like asking American people, does this item give you heart palpitations, is particularly... <laughs> <laughs> a good question or a useful question like i hope they don't because otherwise you're going to die real quickly in your home i want to talk a little bit about the intent behind the meaning of spark joy it's not just about literal joy it's about evaluating what role an object plays if that role is in line with the lifestyle you visualized in the very first step and how grateful you are for that object as a role player in your lifestyle and so th that's sort of what Spark Joy embodies. To go to the books discourse for a second, uh, I'm going to have to like explain the idea behind the books thing. So in numerous places at various times, like uh, Marie Kondo has said, like, if you only like a certain portion of a book, feel free to tear out or cut the section of the book that you like out of the book and only keep that and dispose of the rest. Ooh, okay, I missed that. Wow. Well, I don't think she says that on the TV show exactly, but she says that in her book amongst other places. But she does say stuff like that. She has said publicly, like, I only have 30 books in my home, and I try to restrict myself to 30 books in my house, which, I mean, there's nothing inherently bad about having 30 books in your house. And if you want to limit yourself to a number and only keep, like, the very best of the books that you enjoy, like, go for it. It's your personal choice. But a lot of people sort of interpreted her comments about books in general as uh, Marie Kondo hates books. Like, th that is sort of how it came out. Uh, and bookworms on Twitter were very pissed off. Uh, yes. Because, oh, yes, like, they were. Apparently, bookworms like books. Who would have thought? And they were very angry about her comments. And I think one of the parts that they sort of misinterpreted is... Like, let's say you're a lawyer studying uh, to defend women in sexual violence cases. You're not going to look at a book on your uh, on your shelf about sexual violence and say, yes, this book sparks joy. Like, no, it's like almost impossible for a book about sexual violence to spark joy in a person. But if you go by the intent that I described earlier, where, where you evaluate what role that object plays if it's in line with the lifestyle you visualized and how grateful you are for that object as a role player in your lifestyle then you can actually evaluate it as yes this is a valuable object to have in my home while not necessarily sparking joy however like marie's explanation for spark joy in that con in more more difficult contexts is well it serves a purpose in your life therefore it should spark joy because it serves a purpose in your life Right, it feels to me that it's more like she's describing the sentiment of gratitude, like you're grateful to that object for its purpose of, maybe, I'm not saying making you a better person, but making your lifestyle be what it is. So you're grateful to that, so that's why you would like to keep it. Exactly, and if you actually go like do extra research, extra credit, and uh, go listen <laughs> to interviews with Marie Kondo, uh, like this is one of the things that she says Americans have the most problems with is understanding the concept of gratitude for items. Like, 
once you've actually evaluated the value of an object, like if it sparks joy, you keep it in a keep file. If it doesn't anymore, you thank the item for its service and discard it with no guilt. But inherent in the fact that you thank the item for its service is you show gratefulness for items that have served their purpose in your life and are now ready to move on to something else. And that is like, it, it feels like a very Japanese concept. It's not necessarily something we think about because we live in like this consumerist culture, which is constantly buying shit all the time that we don't really show gratefulness to possessions. Maybe we do to people, but not to possessions. And this is where we sort of get that little whiff of Japanese flavor, you know? So that was my like brief aside about the books thing. Uh, another thing that is important when evaluating your, uh, your objects is this notion of like a someday item. Uh, so one of the examples that comes up in her books is let's say you have like regular tableware with like, uh, with like plates and stuff. And then you have real fancy plates that you only use on special occasions. Well, if you have the real fancy plates for special occasions, like how often do those special occasions really come? Like, is it once every five years? Like, there are plates that I've seen in places before that have never been used for the entire time I've been there. Uh, and you wonder, like, will this ever actually serve a purpose? Uh, so Marie Kondo has the saying, which is, itsukawa eien, or someday is forever, or maybe ATP fans will know this as on an infinite <laughs> time scale. That's the Marie Kondo version. That's the, that's the American Apple nerd version. Oh, that's uh, good. Which is like, this is never going to have a use. So either start using it now or give up on it and get rid of it. Uh, so she said that like when she was younger, uh, she had like that issue in her house where she saw like this real fancy set of plates that nobody was ever using and her regular boring plates. And she was like, why don't we just use the fancy plates from now on instead of just leaving them there and not giving them the respect they deserve or not letting them play a role in our household, uh, which is very interesting to me. It's another very interesting philosophical note. And this is really where it becomes clear to me that the KonMari method is not minimalist per se. Minimalism is about having no more than the essentials. And Marie Kondo does not actually give a shit if you have more than the bare essentials. The important thing for her is whether the objects around you spark joy and how they align into the lifestyle you want to live. And the whole thing about the KonMari method is you define the end goal. The method is just a facilitator to get from point A to point B, regardless of what those points are, and a set of rules that help you simplify the upkeep of point B once you've reached it. And I think that's a really cool way to look at it. A lot of other systems, they are like, here is the end result you should be aiming for. This is like a non-judgment zone. It's just like, as long as you follow these values, you will come to the end result that is natural for you. And I think that's real nice. Which, in theory, could still mean a huge mess. Right. Well, there's the other thing, right, which is like, uh, I have a friend who had a family of hoarders. And there are some people I know who are borderline hoarders as well. And to them, like, they're going to be like, well, of course this sparks joy because blah, blah, blah. And of course this sparks joy because blah, blah, blah. And, like, you can find a way to trick yourself into thinking that everything sparks joy. Uh, which is part of why, like, she's so careful about making you hold each item individually, which I think I actually skipped that point. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Uh, but, 
like oh, you she... mentioned the old thing, but not individually. Like you don't do, grab your pile of clothes together and say like, "Oh, I'm okay." It's like it's more than the individual. But she, she does actually mention an exception to that in her book, which I found really funny. Which is like, let's say you've collect collected an entire run of manga from volume one to volume thirty five. You can just stack those one on top of the other and then just give it a big hug, and that will do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a strange, but. I wouldn't be surprised, like, valuable example for our uh, fans. Yeah. Um, so, so that was very funny. I, I laughed at that one. Uh, I don't remember what I was saying, though, <laughs> which is a problem. But whatever. Let, let's move on to discard first, store later. So while you've done your joy check, you've come up with probably a pretty decent discard pile. Unfortunately, a discard pile is still a thing that has to go somewhere. But you don't really want to look at it because it's an eyesore, so you're just going to try to hide it. Keeping a discard pile around also increases the likelihood that items will be reintroduced into your home because you have this junk pile of stuff that you can just go say, go look through someday and be like, oh yeah, that, and take it out and then put it back into your home. And now you've introduced something that doesn't spark joy into your home. And the longer you keep it, the more likely you are to try to hide it at one point and then forget about it until years later. And then you discover a bag of trash, uh, which is not particularly fun to discover, but it is a thing that happens. Next up is my favorite point, which is designate a, pl a place for each thing. If everything has a place in your system and you put things back in their place after you're done using them, you reduce the chance that clutter will build up again in a given space. Now, obviously, as you introduce new objects into your home, like you're going to have to give them a place as well. Otherwise, it will probably end up on a, as a pile on your living room table like it is for me right now. And another thing that's really nice about designating a place for everything is some of the mental burden with regards to tidying up has to do with finding a place to put things. Uh, you're going to look at a pile of things on your living room table and you're going to be like, where does all of this stuff go? Uh, and if everything already has a place in your system, in your mind, the mental effort to tidy up is reduced greatly because now it's just a question of taking the things to the place where they belong instead of coming up with the place where they belong. Uh, which, again, like it seems like minimal effort, but it builds up over time. And that's really the thing that I appreciate the most. The thing that's the hardest, especially if you live with others, is getting people to respect what the place for each thing is. Uh, I know that when I was living with my parents, I had very different ideas about where certain things should go, and I refused to give in to their bad ideas of where it should go, and that did not end well most of the time. Uh, so try try to get everyone on board. But yeah, that, that can be the hard part, I guess. Uh, next up is the part we were talking about earlier, which is find the right storage. Uh, this sort of like, is two points really it's making effective use of limited space and finding the balance between storage ease of access slash perusal and display uh what do i mean by display is uh she talks about like well what if your collection brings you joy what do you do then because now you have like a big collection of stuff that you have in your home what do you do with that well why not turn it into a display in your home that you can be proud of instead of hiding your collection in a box in a closet like if your collection is in a box in a closet you're much less likely to actually appreciate it day to day than if you actually like do something with it that is like a decoration or a centerpiece in your home uh which is a very interesting idea and something that I have been looking into for potential collection projects 
one of the things that comes out, I don't know how much this comes out in the show because I don't think she really made that big of a deal of it in episode one. Folding your clothes in a particular way that is both efficient and lets you experience the sensual pleasures of that piece of clothing as you fold it. Marie Kondo has many, 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 many videos of herself folding various kinds of clothes on the internet. If you search YouTube for Marie Kondo, like 95% of the videos are distinct videos of her folding clothes at various publications' offices. It is very strange. If that's your fetish, like, go for it. But... (laughs) It's very strange. Uh, but yeah, like her, her method of folding clothes, like it's not my personal liking, but it is very, very dense. And it also allows you to pack a lot into like boxes or whatever, which like she's fascinated with boxes. And I think everybody is fascinated with boxes. I think this is the part of the KonMari method that people fixate on the most because it turns out that thinking about the role that possessions play in our lives and the attachment that we feel to them is far more difficult than it is to buy some nice boxes and containers to put things in or folding your clothes differently. Uh, in reality, though, I think it's one of the least important principles in the entire Konmai method. Like, so much of the work is done for you by the other steps in the process that, like, how you decide to particularly organize a given drawer like that is not going to be the deciding point as to whether or not your house is tidy it's just like you had to get rid of a bunch of shit actually and that was the actual problem and now you can put it back in the drawer pretty much however you like and you're as long as everything has a place like doesn't really matter how you organize it up to me like that's not my problem there uh i don't know how you feel about that but um that's a good question uh because like you said, she did int about the like folding techniques, but not uh, not too much except that. Like she also uh, talked about the way you should put the clothes in your drawers and all of that stuff. Like I know Tony when we watched some of this, like, hey, do you remember I, s- I did this with your t-shirt? It's because of that, it's because <laughs> of her. So I'm like, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Uh, I think one of the techniques is like you, like I mentioned, like you put everything on the vertical axis so then you can see everything you own easily. Uh, she also has a folding method that is uh, appropriate for that. Uh, so yeah, the boxes. I don't think in the episode I watched she mentioned. So I uh, I fixate on the boxes a little bit because her business nowadays is also also involves selling boxes to put your shit in. <laughs> uh, if you go to konmari.com, you can go buy like four different colors of boxes to actually store things in. No conflict of interests. No yeah. conflict of interest, right? Yeah. I would strongly suggest you to put shit in box. By the way, did you know that I can't marry boxes here? There are <laughs> nice colors, different shapes, different sizes. Go to conmarie.com to buy my boxes. Put things in boxes that you buy on my website. I don't think it's that blatant, but I, I mean, I've seen like shows she did in Japan like several years ago compared to the show she's doing now for Netflix. I feel like now there's much more emphasis on the storage and the boxes. And I don't think it's necessarily because she wants to sell her boxes, although that is an upside. But I think it's just because, like, American audiences eat that shit up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I used to watch TLC a lot when I was a kid, uh, back when they had a lot of home renovation and cleaning up mm. shows. And, like... Americans and Canadians too, like Westerners yes. in general, we love organization porn. 
we will look at so much organization porn. We will convince ourselves that if we buy enough boxes, we can put all of our stuff in really fancy stuff. And in practice, like maybe you buy the boxes and you put the things in it once and then you never do it ever again. But like, I think people nowadays are so obsessed with like having an apartment that is Instagram ready more so than they actually care about having an apartment that they can actually comfortably live in. And I feel like that's what's coming out with like the heavy emphasis on and the fixation on finding the right storage. Like to me, this is the least important point of the entire thing. But so much time hmm. is being spent on it. Because you should buy our boxes. Sure. I mean, they're very nice boxes, by the way. But hmm. yeah, they're sure. And, and the last point uh, was follow your intuition, which is like, sure. I guess like I don't have anything to add there. Like that's the last point. Oh yeah. On the, on the topic of finding the right storage though, uh, a lot of the second book is about specifically like for this kind of thing, this is how you should stack them vertically in this particular kind of box. It, it is very like clinical level descriptions of how you should organize things um, in certain chapters. But there was also some really good philosophical stuff in there as well. Like, uh, specifically talking about like the kitchen, uh, she went into restaurant kitchens to actually analyze how, uh, how those were organized. And what she found, which was really surprising, is that ease of access to stuff, uh, was not actually the priority in a restaurant kitchen. In fact, like everything has its place, which is good because it's part of our system, but it doesn't actually matter if it's not necessarily within reach. Because in a restaurant kitchen, the actual primary priority is ease of cleaning because you have to clean so much all the time. Hmm. And she thinks that the same thing should happen in the home because if you have a clean kitchen, you'll feel better about yourself, right? Hmm. She's making a good point for that. That yes. I like. I didn't and know and that another I thing she is uh, very strict about is making the distinction between cleaning and tidying up. She thinks these are two distinct things because cleaning is really like wiping things down and washing things and all of that stuff whereas tidying is really more managing the load of all of the possessions that you have and uh in japanese it's more distinct because there's tidying which is katatsuke and there's uh cleaning which is soji and they're like it it's a much more distinct thing in japan than it is here where a lot of people say cleaning when they mean, mean tidying up and vice versa so that makes up like my big outline of her method. Now I kind of want to talk about the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we should. I think we should. Yeah, I, I don't really have any notes for the show because I sort of decided to do this topic this morning. So I haven't had time to write notes for the show. But uh, one of the things I've noticed a lot in reviews of the show is people are disappointed by the before and after. Okay, okay, that's a good point. Because if, let's say you look at like, uh, well, all these shows are home renovation shows, which are bad examples, but this is sort of what the frame of reference that people have. Like, if you have, if you watch Trading Places, if you watch While You Were Out, if you watch, uh, there was actually a tidying up show on, uh, TLC. I just can't remember what the name was. Um, it was with Peter Walsh, though. Uh, I don't know. Is it one of those that, uh, has order in the name or? I will search for it real quick uh, because i know a lot of them radio. were for uh 
a lot of them were for people that had hoarding disorders. Uh, no, 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 not not the hoarding shows. These are just for like people who want to organize their homes. It was called Ooh. Clean Sweep on TLC, okay. which is like the closest analog to uh, the Marie Kondo show, except he has a different methodology, um, which is apparently also very good. I just don't know of it. Uh, so yeah, if you look at those shows, like there tends to be a distinct change between before and after. Whereas now it's literally the same space, except it's just tidy. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. less of a change than if you actually did renovation or if you actually did buy new furniture or whatever to put there. There it's just like, and oftentimes the befores don't actually look that bad, at least for the first episode. The before was not actually that bad. It feels like a reasonable family home. Like, yeah, yeah it's not super organized, but yes, you should watch episode two. Yes, I'm uh, looking okay. at the list of episodes <laughs> right now. So I watch, I watch. Uh, we Tony and I watch episode one. I watched some uh, clips of episode two. I think Tony was putting it. I was doing something else. And to me, episode two seems more like uh, closer to ording house. Uh, you, so if we go on summaries, that's the, the first one is called tidying with toddlers. So it's, uh, uh, the description on Netflix says, a married couple with two young children find peace as they learn how to pare down playroom clutter, keep the kitchen organized and sort clothes. And to me, the first one, I think they're, it's good that they start with that, uh, couple and family because that is the one I haven't, I, of course, I haven't watched the other one, but it's like I could relate to that. It's very approachable, right? It's like the day-to-day life of our lives are more or less crazy, and uh, like we said in the intro, the husband is a, I wouldn't say a bit, he's a workaholic. The way he talks about the work, the way he talks about his life, he's like work, 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 and the lady is kind of unclear if she works or not, but it's it. It is clear to me. No, she's a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, it is clear to me that she is the one that made the most concession, and now she's like super stressed about doing that because, in theory, she doesn't want to do all of that. Even if okay, if it's clear that she's a stay-at-home, even if she's a stay-at-home mom, she like she like she didn't shouldn't do all of that shit. Let's be honest. Like, the husband should also help, and that's where it feels to me that they're kind of like lost in between and lost with getting new kids and blah blah blah. And also, like they, then they, they do the, the the cute thing about like the like wedding pictures and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And also, this uh, helps this couple somewhat reconnect for our viewing pleasure. I, I'm gonna stop you there to talk about uh, Marie Kondo's uh, weird opinion about getting your husband to clean, uh, <laughs> which is not in the show. It's in an interview that I heard with her um, during a book tour for Spark Joy, and uh, she was asked like. I do basically all the housework in the house. I'm trying to get my husband to do his part. What can I do? And her answer, and I wish I could have had a face cam for the audience when she said this, (laughs) was, well, the only thing I can say honestly is that if you want your husband to clean, you should do a better job of cleaning yourself. Uh, Not cleaning, tidying up. And I was just like, I yelled, what the fuck? And I think my neighbors heard or something. Like, <laughs> I, I could not believe what I had heard. And what? this is the part where you have to sort of get into your head that a lot of Marie Kondo's stuff in her book, and I hope that the fact that she's moved to LA and has dealt with more clients in North America will make her more sensitive to this, is 
a lot of it is based in assumptions about Japanese living and about Japanese society that are not necessarily mm. true here. I'm not surprised about that, to be so, honest. So, going back to the books thing very quickly, another thing, well, she gave an interview this week because of the whole books thing, and naturally someone asked her about it, and she said, one of the things that I didn't foresee when I made my comments about books in my book and in the TV show was that in Japan, our climate is much more humid than it is here, and therefore books get damaged much more easily. And therefore, I try to reduce the amount of books that I have in my home so that I don't damage them in the process. So that is like okay. kind of sure, like yeah. sure. It, it's it's a worse answer than if she had actually just said what I said when I was explaining what she meant by spark joy, which is like evaluate the role this plays instead of worrying about like dumb shit like climate <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of a strange non-answer is like oh it's because of our climate which correct me if i'm wrong you've been in japan more than i've been but we do have like humid weather here especially here having gone in the summer this year i can tell you that i have never experienced something that bad oh worse than here yes wow okay yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty painful. Yes, when it gets humid in Quebec, it's really humid. But uh, it's not uh, it's not like in some other places on Earth. But uh, I guess if it's super humid uh, all the time in Japan, then I could understand that. But let's be honest, that sounds like a weak-ass argument for just saying, you know what, if she doesn't like books and she doesn't see value for them, that's okay. And so- sometimes I wonder, like, I, I love her interpreter, uh, Marie Ida, mm. I think her name is. Uh, yeah, another but- Marie would that that made me laugh when the <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, is our interpreter called Marie too?" Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, and also sorry for the interaction again. That to me is also another Japanese thing. It's like when the Americans are talking to an English, she's like, "Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh." She understands completely, but she needs an interpreter to talk. And sometimes she like in the video, like even the, the first two episodes, it's like she talks to them in English, and he's like, "Marie, your English is quite good." Like, why do you need an interpreter? Like, I know there's, like, cultural, like, phenomenon. And we talk a lot, uh, even with uh, either with you or with other friends that went to Japan. Like, there's a lot of, like, there's a big cultural pressure on Japanese people to perform, especially in other languages. And that, like, kind of blocks them. But I'm like, you don't need an interpreter. You're doing great. That's the, if I were to meet her at some point, that's the thing I would say. It's like, good job. Your English is great. No, no, you no need for the interpreter. Right. I, but yeah, I love her interpreter and I love how many notes she takes. Like, I don't know how obvious it is on the show, but when she does, uh, like live interviews, she's scribbling in her book like the whole time. And I, I like having been the interpreter for, uh, our mutual friends when we went to Japan this summer, like I have a newfound respect for interpreters. Like I respected them before, but now that I actually have like some, tiny fraction of a portion of their experience <laughs> trying to do it in r- real time like it blows my mind that people actually do this as a job and are good at it oh i'm not done playing the job i'm just saying that sometimes it's funny because i felt like when she was talking english like it was like i wouldn't say perfect come on but like well good enough for people to understand and then like process our, our yeah. tips and all that stuff like it would have been perfect so and she's improved a lot in the 
past few years, probably because she moved to LA, right? So right, kind of helps. Uh, but where I was going with that is sometimes I feel like the interpreter should step in, either like oh. off, probably like on off time, not like in the middle of the interview, of course. <laughs> the the interview uh, the interpreter should step in and like give advice that is specific to the culture because Ooh. she seems like someone who actually like knows what life is like here whereas i don't think marie kondo necessarily has an idea of it yet like she just moved here this year uh oh so the movie is recent i would guess to record this the netflix show and blah 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 well the show was recorded last year but she moved here in 2019 oh okay you mean in the last two weeks yeah yeah no literally oh, wow. like now wow okay <laughs> wow okay so yeah so i i feel like the interpreter should jump in and just be like what you're going to say is going to sound insensitive to this culture when relating to the husband thing or this book thing is bullshit or, or something like that or like can, can right. you try to spin it in a different direction that is basically better pr for her in this business but i know that's not really her job her job is literally to interpret what she says and fine but like i feel she would benefit from it because sometimes she's putting her foot in her mouth without really realizing it because of societal stuff true true true. no i understand what you said and sometimes you know i've like uh i've been in a situation where one of my friends was interpreting a lot of the stuff that his family was saying uh speak spanish and i have zero i have a couple words spanish but my spanish is super bad and you know what sometimes you have feelings like just like give me what they said Like literally what they said. <laughs> so I I feel you and you're right. That sometimes like maybe maybe talking about their you're doing a shitty job and that's why your husband doesn't want to clean is not good. But then people are like, what did you just say to her? And then they will want to like get the exact like kind of transcript of this kind of uh, small blabber between each other. Right, which is why I think it should happen off camera and like mm. when they're preparing for these things, like they have right. time together, like they're not. But whatever, like yes, reminder, Mary. The books talk. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't tell a don't tell a woman she's bad enough. She, she, her husband doesn't do shit because you're bad. That's bad too. Now that I've taken Marie Kondo to task for being problematic, I'm going to do the same for the media that has reviewed this show. Uh, so one of the issues I have with a lot of the reviews of her show is that easily like 25% of the sentences in each of these reviews have a diminutive adjective with regards to Marie Kondo's physical appearance like tiny adorable doll like like all of this stuff that is like we just want to hug Marie Kondo and i understand the feeling right <laughs> yes but but let's be honest that's kind of true i i'm not saying no i'm just saying okay okay in a review of the television show You shouldn't be like a quarter of it shouldn't be dedicated to like this adorable Japanese woman came into our home and made a miracle. And instead it should be like, let's actually talk about like the methodology. What are the issues with the methodology? Or is this a good show? Instead of just like, oh, look at the cute Japanese girl. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I wonder if Japanese people do that when American people go to on their show. They, hmm. Mm. Actually, yeah, probably they do. That doesn't make it right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're. I agree with you. I agree with you. But I, I'm sure it's reciprocal. 
But it, yeah, it, it's bothering me so much reading this, uh, these articles throughout the entire week that I did have to mention it because it kind of pissed me off. Uh, I was trying to find like actual interesting tidbits in these reviews. And actually, it was just like, there is an adorable Japanese woman and the app before after is underwhelming. Five out of ten. Like, that was more or less <laughs> what it was. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Like, if I had to tweet, like, the average <laughs> review that I read this week, that's what it was, except their review was, like, a thousand words. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other things you want to say about the show? I, I think from what I've seen of episode two, um, it feels that uh, you... If you only watched episode one, I could understand this understatement between the before and after. But I don't think that's the goal of it. I really think the goal is just like, you know, like, you could make small tricks, small tweaks on the stuff you do to just make it easier on you, on your day-to-day life. And I think that if that's my perception of the message she was trying to send on that episode, and if that was really the message she was trying to say, I think she hit it, like, she hit the nail, like, perfectly. If that was not the message, then uh, it's good that it was the perceived message I received from this first episode. Uh, on the second one, from what I've seen, it was more. It could have been some of uh, um, uh, some kind of ordinary show, like like the order show, and then like extra, going extravaganza about it and all that stuff. But uh, it seems that they've chose like families and people that uh, and they don't want to go too much on that side of like TV reality, uh, which I think I salute. Uh, I've watched some of those shows and they're like kind of like I don't think they're making fun of those people. Like what an ordinance is considered a sickness, right? So, but it always feels back in my mind like they're kind of making fun of those people, like trying to push their limit. I know it's like kind of part of one of the proposed techniques. It's uh, part of like how everybody loves cringe entertainment in 2019. Like it's the primary Mm, kind of video that works on YouTube is like cringy stuff. Yeah, and I think it's like the TV version of that in a way. Which is why I like that our show is kind of on the like it stays under that limit from what I've watched. Yeah, well, like, Hoarders Buried Alive is, like, not a show about actually improving your situation. It's just, like, here are people in this situation, and then judge them however you want. Positively, negatively, neutrally, the judgment is up to you. I've seen some show where they're trying to help uh, those people. They're like, okay. There's a specialist that comes, and there's, a, like, kind of a, a psychologist, and then, a, like, a specialist for ordinance, and they, they bring a lot of specialists to try to kind of cure those people or at least improve their life and like make them uh work with their aspect of themselves and maybe improve the life of their family too because they like try to show them the the effect they have on others with that but you're right some of them is just like to just like kind of like being a kind of a judging panel show like the spectator are judging these people which that to me mary's not doing an art i think she's doing that great uh, she's there, like, you feel that she's there to help you, and I think that transcends quite correctly and quite well in the TV show. Yeah, another thing that really stand out, stands out stands out about this show relative to other um, cleaning and tidying up shows is that I think this show is notable because in this show, the families do the work. Marie doesn't really do the work. She just gives tips. 
But in a lot of other shows, the specialist comes in, the specialist does all the cleaning, the specialist goes away, and then like, who knows what happens to those houses. Like, I, I'm not saying necessarily that after Marie goes away, uh, they're going to keep doing exactly the same things that they taught her, uh, he, ah, that she taught them to do. But at least they're actually doing the work during the show. And she's really just guiding them along the process. And apparently that's how she is in actual, like, one-on-one sessions as well as a consultant. So that is interesting uh, to me. And she has said in the past that, like, uh, several years ago she said, like, there's no rebound for anyone that has a one-on-one lesson with me. Which is true until it isn't, right? And eventually yeah it didn't happen it was with uh someone who did a tv show for nhk world with her uh mm-hmm. where she went to new york uh it's basically like a prototype of this show it's pretty much exactly the same show except it was on nhk world where nobody saw it <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh one of the people who uh who did the lessons like she followed the lessons she did the thing but eventually like she realized she was happier in a more cluttered house. And like Marie says in her book, like I never thought that would be possible, but if that's the way that it needs to be for you to be comfortable in your home, like I'm not the kind of person to judge about that. And I think like having that kind of like non-judgment viewpoint on the show is actually really, really interesting. So more or less what she's saying is like, if you follow my method and you feel unhappier than before you've learned something about yourself and that's good exactly which Ooh. is not something you usually hear from books about organizing your home <laughs> not really yes not really that's kind of the uh quite inverse uh last tip of it or the, the golden rule of it yep so that's pretty much all i have to say about the show uh i am looking forward to seeing the rest of the show there are certain things that i have heard her say before in the past that i would like to see if she says them out loud in front of other americans (laughs) for example don't hide seasonal clothing in a storage area where you can't see it like for your like winter clothes and stuff really she wants everything in the closet all the time and if you like literally on the racks in the closet all the time Oh my and there, if you hide stuff away in storage, then you're just like, I'm not going to say ashamed of it, but like, you're doing it a disservice by putting it away. And I'm like, who the fuck is going to wear snow pants in the middle of July? Like, <laughs> yes, why clutter my wardrobe with that in the fucking summer? Right. Right. Or stuff like uh, buying in bulk is not recommended, which is like, Sure, your tiny Japanese apartment probably cannot handle Costco levels of food, but <laughs> American houses, you said it yourself, are fucking huge. So yes. <laughs> they can kind of accommodate Costco levels of food. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying it is practical for a lot of families to do so. Uh, so it's, it's funny, in the first episode, she kind of looked lost in the house. She's like, oh my god, there's so much space. Where am I? Am I in a kind of a like office building or something? It's like she she looks like Is this a like, fake television kitchen that they yeah. made? Like is and, this a prank? Did she just mention the side of the kitchen? She's like, Oh, that's so cute. I would like this. Like my kitchen is like and then she starts like using her hand to measure the size of her own kitchen and the couple is like, 
what the fuck is those Japanese kitchen? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's not hyperbolic. Like, Look, that I, is I'm literally not... how large the kitchen is in Japan. <laughs> and she's, like, she's quite, she seems quite excited. Like, oh, my God, I would like to live here. Like, Maybe that's why she moved. Now she yeah. has a giant-ass kitchen. <laughs> yes. Who, know, who, who knows the season two might be... Um, might be uh you, you know in those like uh renovation shows they like there's kind of couple of seasons where they go to people and then to make more money they then do something about their own houses right <laughs> so who knows maybe in a couple of seasons she will like like show all the techniques she used in the day-to-day life of her life to make her uh to kind of follow her own technique and method uh and that will be kind of uh, a day in the life of Marie Kondo and then you see like her her with uh, her kid. I think she has kids because she was. Yes, she that. has two kids. Yes, yeah, so, so like see. Uh, yes, because she was talking about folding the clothes, and then the kids are super happy to do it too. So yes. Right. That that's another thing that I think like there's a cultural issue there because like Japanese children are like indoctrinated with this notion that the team is greater than the self, and that therefore like the thing that she says about like you should do the cleaning and then it'll be infectious and other people will join you. Like that works in Japan because like they don't want to be contributing to the degradation of the environment that they live in. So they're going to contribute because it's a collective thing. Mm -hmm. But like here, like children are going to be like, fuck you. I'm not doing this. Like (laughs) it's like how Korean esports teams and American esports teams are different. In Korea, when the coach says something, the player does it. In America, when the coach says something, he gets the player fired. <laughs> tells it, fuck you, I'm going to choose this bad character in the video game just because I hate you and I didn't want to do the good thing, and we're going to lose the game because of it. And that was also a reference to Aki, but sure. <laughs> sure. The, get, the getting fired part. But hockey in Japan, really? No, I mean here. Yeah. Remember that, like, okay, I'll be doing a Montreal Canadian. Every time they lose, it's not the fault of the players, it's always the fault of the coach. Always. Of course. Of course. So, that was the reference. I had to explain that Alki reference. Oh my god. What are you doing with me? I know. Uh, so one last thing before we go, it is that today I decided to go onto the Japanese internet and go take a look at how her show was being received in Japan. Oh. And unfortunately, I have nothing real to uh, report because all of the Japanese people are also talking about how cute Marie Kondo is, <laughs> and nobody is talking about the goddamn show. So I guess Marie I guess Kondo's right. cuteness is universal. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I think we spent five minutes while watching the show talking about. Oh my god, how old is Marie Kondo? And then I just re looked like while we were talking, I was like, my fucking god, like she's thirty four. I, I was always assuming she was younger than me, like. But yes, I guess it's a cuteness level. I don't know if you've seen some of the memes that have gone out uh, based on screenshots of the of the show with fake subtitles. Like oh, there was goodness. one where she's holding the giant teddy bear in front of her, and then the subtitle is like, "Oh no, where's Marie? I lost Marie." <laughs> <laughs> there was another one where like the oh, no. the dad was talking to one of the little kids, and the subtitle was like. I love Marie's interpreter, and I'm going to ask her to marry me. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Okay. Uh, anyway, definitely go watch the show if you're interested in the Marie Kondo method, because it'll be less trouble than reading her books. However, if you want to read one of her books, I greatly recommend Spark Joy, because it contains a uh, summary of the first book in the first chapter, and then 
there's a lot more practical advice than uh, in the first book, which is going to be useful if you need it. Okay, and uh, I have an advice for you. Next time you want to do a surprise topic that includes a TV show, uh, maybe you should tell it to me before so I could finish watching the TV show. I mean, I was primarily interested in talking about the method and not so much about the TV show, but since you've seen it, then we can talk about the TV show. That's fair. That's fair. And that's it for me. Good. So to see all the links to the KonMari? KonMari. Okay, so I'm trying to uh, practice this uh, pronunciation, but uh, to the Marie Kondo technique and our books and our TV show Netflix, I'm sure Yannick will put all of that in the show notes and you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net slash 105, so 105. If you want to go go take a look at all of our back catalog of episodes, those all other uh, 104 episodes, you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter at at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find also, you can find myself on Twitter at Lukonosh. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-E-C-H. And you can find Yannick at Sakarina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Don't forget to go buy Marie Kondo boxes. It's, oh, important, to put, it's important to put things in boxes, especially Marie Kondo boxes.